Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Dr. Simon. Uh, and uh, with today we're going to talk about anxiety. But before I do, I want to follow up from last week's shows uh, where I discussed uh, an article by Dr. Alan Francis on depression in which Dr. Francis suggested that uh, <clears throat> we should differentiate, or psychiatrists and psychologists, particularly those who give drugs, uh, should differentiate between normal grieving and real depression, depressive disorder, as he put it, which I suggested that if you didn't know that somebody had died or somebody was uh, reacting to a tragedy, you would be able to differentiate between normal depression or or depressive disorder and uh, normal depression or the, the mourning, the reaction to a loss, a terrible loss, which involves other psychological uh, phenomena that I'm going to discuss in a moment. Um, And I suggested that further, if you looked at what people uh, react to in what we call depression, you would find that it's not only the loss of an immediate loved one or some tragedy that occurs that brings on mourning, but that people can uh, have broken hearts and mourn the loss of people from very early in life, or they can mourn other things that they've lost, self-esteem, a career. And if you begin to then examine uh, that notion, what you realize is that to be depressed is a very human phenomenon, uh, an uncomfortable and difficult reaction but one in which all human beings are susceptible and in no way represents any kind of a medical problem. If you examine depression, as I have for 40 years in working with individuals, uh, you discover that there are certain commonalities to somebody who is frozen with depression. The first of these is a belief Uh, that somebody is defective, that they're defective, that there's something wrong with them. And it's not that when somebody dies or or, uh, some tragedy occurs, we all become depressed, we all may mourn, we all may uh, be grossly unhappy, but we don't become seriously depressed unless on some level we feel that we're responsible for that death or that loss. And again, if you examine yourself, if you're depressed, you may not see this because we bury these ideas. Uh, we fight against the idea that we're defective. We fight against the idea that we feel guilty about hurting somebody. But in fact, uh, the fact that we fight against it doesn't mean that these beliefs aren't there and in fact are exposed with minimum conversation with somebody that uh, uh, a child who loses a parent especially is vulnerable to the belief that they're responsible uh, for the loss. Uh, I knew somebody who died, a young man died, and the son uh, at the funeral said, "Uh, Daddy, I didn't mean to kill you with aggravation. What was interesting 
and I've heard this many times before, is that the child is not responsible for the father getting cancer or dying in an automobile accident. But the child believes because children do believe that they're responsible, that they're the center of the universe, that they make things happen, that their wishes can make things happen. And it makes them terribly vulnerable to the belief that they're bad. Uh, and this leads to guilt, self-hatred, and shame. Um, the individual who is seriously depressed very often, if not always, will tell you that the world is hostile to them, that there's no mercy, uh, that there's no kindness to them. And they've never received that kindness. And so many of the individuals who I've worked with uh, uh, who over the years who have been seriously depressed will tell you of terrible abuse and terrible neglect. Um, and, and, and this is simply a fact of their existence. So that the world is a hostile place and they are convinced that they are the damaged goods uh, and they are responsible in some central way for this uh, the tragedy and the, the punishment that they are receiving from the world. Um, there can be fear, there can be rage all mixed in with this. And many, many people who are significantly depressed are in an anger, are in a rage. What you hear eventually, if not sooner, from individuals who are depressed is that the world uh, is, is a place that nothing can change. I am helpless to change anything. Uh, a number of depressed individuals I work with over the years have been abused or sexually abused, and they're up against the power of parents, or they're up against the political forces in the entire world. Um, and therefore, they develop a deep feeling of personal helplessness. There is nothing they can do to change the world. And finally, there is hopelessness, despair. Nobody will ever love me. I am unlovable. I am bad. I am ruined. And, and this hopelessness mixes with the guilt, the shame, the self-hatred, the fear, the rage, the hopelessness, the helplessness. And what you end up with uh, is, in addition to that, a deep, profound feeling often of loneliness. I'm alone. There is no one who can help me. I sit alone in this. I am unlovable. And this is a terrible set of beliefs to live a life by. And the result is depression. And the depression can change if events change. Uh, uh, somebody can come across somebody who demonstrates to them uh, that they are loved and they accept it because very often a person who deeply believes this, especially from childhood, resists all attempts to actually believe that they can be cared for, that somebody could be a friend. They could be very cynical about that, that the idea that somebody says, I love you or I like you. But that can break through. And if it does, there's a profound change in the mood, in the state of mind that we now call depression and unfortunately call a medical problem that has to be solved increasingly with powerful, powerful drugs. Uh, we know that people who drink to overcome depression or take cocaine or other stimulants uh, don't really work through the problem. 
they simply escape from it, that they put a large bandage on something that festers and sits beneath. And so uh, it's only through some set of human interactions, uh, some set of events that changes one or more of the basic ideas uh, that I am the damaged, that the world is a place to hate and fear, that I can never do anything about my life. I can't do anything. I can't grow. I can't become creative. I don't deserve to get a promotion. I don't deserve to get a job. I don't deserve to get into a good school. I don't deserve to meet somebody who will love and care for me and do all the things uh, that I desire and need uh, in my life. I don't deserve uh, people who will uh, help me lose the sense of loneliness. I don't deserve to believe that there is a good future for me and therefore the despair and the hopelessness that is so mixed in with serious levels of what we call depression will abate. But when they do, they do. So depression isn't an illness. It's not a sickness. It's a state of mind. And under the right conditions, this state of mind does change. As Dr. <coughs> Francis pointed out, many people who do lose love objects uh, do work their way out of it. There seems to be a time limit, and not just on tragedy, the results of tragedy, but most depressed individuals work their way out of depression in one way or another. The depressions that last are very often the most deeply ingrained sets of attitudes that involve being bad, defective, ugly, stupid, seeing the world because it's been proven to them over and over again in their interpersonal relationships that the world is, in fact, a hostile place in which there is no mercy, there is no love, there is no forgiveness, there's no redemption. So, uh, next week, by the way, not next week, tomorrow, I'm going to do another show tomorrow on what I call psychotherapy, uh, in which I try to describe <clears throat> when people come to me with serious depression, how I work with these individuals, um, and how any good therapist, in fact, does work with such individuals, because I'm not the only good therapist around. In fact, I know a number of therapists I've met who I think are a hell of a lot better than I am because they do have more patience uh, and they have a, a deeper sense of uh, love and affection for people and they're a little less cynical and a little less depressed than I tend to be. But in any event, <coughs> excuse me, tonight I wanted to talk about another emotion, probably uh, the emotion of anxiety along with depression, are the two most uh, prescribed states of mind that can exist. Uh, and probably more people are drugged or drug themselves because they experience intense anxiety, which becomes uh, a panic if it's not understood. And I'll try on the air tonight to help you to understand the emotion of anxiety so that you don't become uh, panicked and go into what's called a panic attack uh, and, and, and run off to an emergency room 
where inevitably you'll be seen by Dr. Shrink, uh, who in 12 or 15 minutes will have you on uh, some kind of powerful drug that will shut down not only your anxiety, <coughs> but that will shut down all of your emotions, your sex drive, your appetite, and everything else as well. Um, again, let me not diminish or make light of how powerful depression can be or how powerful uh, uh, anxiety can be. The fact that they are adaptive emotions, the fact that they're universal, the fact that all human beings experience them in one way or another in the course of their life, and some more intensely and more damaging than others, doesn't mean that these emotions aren't as unpleasant and painful as any can be. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know why I'm choking tonight, but I am. Gee, I have a guest on my, um, on my chat, guest 3068, and uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. No? Okay. <coughs> From Canada. You want to call up? You want to write a message? Uh, I love to have the I love to know that there are people who are listening as I speak and not merely going into the archive after I get off the air. In fact, I'm going to take my phone and I'm going to go to my sink <coughs> and have a drink of water because I don't know why. It must be uh, the cookie I had with my tea for dessert. I had it really delicious. Uh, oatmeal raisin cookie and it seems to be sticking me in the throat <sighs> maybe that's better okay what is anxiety anxiety is like a fire alarm it's a fire alarm to ourselves anxiety occurs and is a, a kind of a sister cousin to uh, fear and maybe even dread. You can't ignore anxiety, and you shouldn't ignore anxiety, and you shouldn't fight against the anxiety. Like the emotions involved in depression, they need to be understood. You need to understand that if you're depressed, it may be because you've been told what a piece of shit you are and how defective you are and how bad you are uh, all of your life. You may have to understand that the labels that have been applied to you <coughs> have been applied to you in such a way that you believe them and you are somehow a villain in your own life story rather than a hero or rather than an individual who can grow and change. So, uh, anxiety is similar Anxiety says, and I, I, it is very hard to make clear, but I'll say it in as many different ways as I can. Anxiety says, there is something I believe that is threatening to me. I know it's there, but I don't know what it is. <coughs> I, can't, I can't finalize it. <coughs> I don't know if I should, should be afraid. <coughs> I don't know if I should be happy. I don't know what I'm supposed to do but I know that it's there. Now, let me put it in the simplest terms. Anxiety probably involved with all of our emotions uh, when human beings were hunter-gatherers 
and came out of the trees and uh, grew from chimpanzees or whatever uh, uh, primate we were into human beings. And they would be in the deep bush and they would see something move in the bush. At that moment, they knew there was a possibility of threat, but they didn't know what the threat was or if, in fact, there was threat. What they would experience at that moment, I believe, is anxiety. Anxiety now says to the individual, focus on the bush. Find out what you're supposed to find out about what is going on in that bush. Is it a lion? Is it a snake? Is it a kid trying to play a trick on me? What is there? It is, is it a small animal or an animal that I can kill and bring home to my tribe so we can have a good dinner? I don't know what it is, but there's a potential of threat. Okay? You don't know that the threat is there, but there's the potential of threat. What does anxiety do? It makes you focus on the situation that is arousing the anxiety to find out the truth in that situation. What more adaptive emotion could you have? And because you're focused on what might hurt you, and you're trying to find out, it, it's telling you, be smarter than you were. Find out. Get evidence. Look. See. Listen. Smell. Taste. Do it as ever necessary to focus on the source of the anxiety. And, if necessary, take evasive action, hostile action. Do what you have to do after you find out. Anxiety forces you to learn. That's what it does. And because what might be in the bush or whatever is causing the anxiety, could be life-threatening, anxiety will not let you think about or focus on anything else. Good? All right. uh, several times a year I go to the doctor because I take a high blood pressure medicine that can uh, kill my kidneys and damage my liver. And so the doctor has to do some blood tests. And when he does, he does a whole panel of blood tests. Uh, and I wait now for the results of this blood test with anxiety. I don't know what's coming back from the blood test. I know something's coming back. And until now, I have been very lucky. And happily, once I find out that the doctor tells me uh, that my blood tests are normal, my liver and my kidneys aren't going because of the Lipitor and the other high blood pressure medicine I take, the, the cholesterol medicine is the Lipitor. Uh, again, I'll talk about that sometime. I'm not even sure that the Lipitor has any value in terms of cholesterol, although I do believe it probably has value as an anti-inflammatory agent. And uh, inflammation, I believe at this point, uh, doctors are starting to recognize, is really the culprit and the cause of heart disease. Make sure, folks, your gums don't bleed because of inflammation. Uh, that is a major cause of heart disease. 
smoking and, and other kinds of, of uh, damage to your system that causes heart disease. I'm not sure the cholesterol is what's important. My guess is it's really not. <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, inflammation. And so I do take the Lipitor, even though I risk uh, liver problems that uh, have to be watched. Once the results come in, the anxiety goes away. Unless, as happened a couple of years ago, I'm told that one of my tests is positive and I have to see another kind of doctor for a follow-up, which led to all manner of anxiety until that doctor ran a test and suggested to me I was fine, go home, he'll see me in another year. I think at my age, and I'm 70 years old, the best thing any doctor could say to me, it makes me happy, is I'll see you in a year. I'm not as happy if he says, I'll see you in six months, but I know he doesn't believe that what I have is imminently fatal or lethal if he even says six months. The anxiety is gone. <clears throat> now, what about the kind of anxiety I see or have seen in the 40 years of my working with people? Very often, it's the same emotion. But what has created it is the constant bullshit that individuals are fed about what is true or what is true about them or what is true about the world. I have seen hundreds of things that will create anxiety that an individual can't really deal with because the anxiety is not from a lion or a snake in the bush or a medical test that comes back next Monday or Tuesday the anxiety has to do with something they know is true that is threatening to them. But they have been sworn or so frightened in the not believing what they see or hear or know that they deny its truth. Okay? I don't know if this makes sense. Let me see if I can work around it and make it even easier to understand. One of the most anxious people I ever worked with was the child of an alcoholic. Well, I hate that word. He's not an alcoholic. There's no such thing as an alcoholic. There are people who, for whatever reason, drink too much. And when they drink too much and the motives that make them drink lead to all kinds of serious interpersonal problems and all kinds of social problems and all kinds of health problems in the end that are real health problems. But in any event... Uh, the mother of this child was uh, going to protect the father who was the heavy drinker at all costs. And my patient, my client that I worked with for a number of years, uh, would see daddy come home, bleary-eyed, staggering. He would smell the alcohol. And as a child, he remembered saying to his mother, daddy is drunk again. And Daddy being drunk was terrifying because Daddy was abusive, Daddy was hostile, Daddy was unable to uh, help the family. Uh, the message that the child got, which caused tremendous anxiety because he didn't know how to interpret it, was that if there was a serious problem in his life, Daddy wouldn't be there because Daddy loved his alcohol and getting drunk more than he did him tell you a quick story again about another this is a different individual uh who broke his arm and uh when uh 
the doctor, he went to the doctor by himself. He got on his bicycle, which he had just fallen off, and the bone was sticking out of his, either the radius or the ulna was sticking out of his arm. And he went up to the doctor and uh, by himself, the family doctor, who called the mother. And the mother wasn't home. And the father said, well, he did it. Let him do it. Let him fix it himself. Uh, and the father then at that point called social services that got involved, which they messed up terribly. Uh, unfortunately, that's often the case. Uh, but uh, this kid became riddled with anxiety because he knew that if something did go wrong, uh, nobody would come for him. Uh, he, he, he didn't know what to do, and that produces tremendous anxiety. But in any event, the other individual I'm talking about was told by mother, your daddy isn't drunk, he's sick, he just doesn't feel well. And when the little boy insisted that he smelled the alcohol and he knew that daddy had been drinking, the mother really laced into him and let him know in one way or another that he would be thrown out of this family. He would be beaten. He would be rejected. All love would be withdrawn, which is absolutely the most terrifying threat that a child can experience. All love would be withdrawn if he continued to insist that daddy was drunk. And so he began to convince himself that daddy was sick and daddy wasn't drunk. The problem is he knew daddy was drunk. The problem is he knew that he was threatened by daddy's drunkenness and that he was threatened by his own belief that daddy was drunk. And he was denying all of this. And all of the things he was denying was a tremendous threat to him, a serious threat. And so he was in a constant state of anxiety. And like so many others who have anxiety, he was told that the anxiety is a sickness, it is a disorder. He needed to take drugs for it. He needed therapy. He was the problem, not the mother, not the father not the terribly dysfunctional, unhappy family. And when I talk about my view of psychotherapy, I'll discuss this tomorrow night because the only way to help a child or somebody out of the condition of depression or alcohol or any other so-called serious mental illness is to help them understand exactly how the environment shaped the story they're living with, shaped the confusion, <coughs> created all of the myths and the lies that they live with that hide the truth, that hide all of the painful feelings, emotions, and truths, dangerous truths that they need to come to grips with, and by coming to grips with them, change them so that they can change their story, change their lives, change the view of themselves, and unravel and change all of the beliefs about being defective, about being stupid, about being damaged, about being uh, uh, hopeless and helpless and living in despair. I guess there are times, I'm sure there are times, uh, when there is nothing to be done. However, so much of my work uh, over my adult life has been dealing with situations that can be changed. And once the individual understands that anxiety is their friend, and I'll talk about the therapy of that. Well, I, could have some, I have some time now. 
nobody seems to be calling in, but uh, that'll be fine. Um, when somebody has anxiety, I tell them, say, anxiety is my friend. It will take me to the truth. Don't fight it. Let it wash over you like a wave. Let it wash over you. You will not die. People will say, I think I'm going to go crazy with the anxiety. And the truth of the matter, as I see it, is you're already crazy because you're in denial and because you are fighting against things that are beliefs that are true that you really need to function with. Maybe you're not really loved. Maybe the parents or the situation you're in is incapable of love. Maybe it's incapable of support. Maybe you need to learn that there are others in the world that if you reach out, will love you, will talk the truth to you, won't be hostile, won't threaten you with withdrawal or punishment or even death if, in fact, you ask for and offer the truth to them. So, it is the truth. Anxiety will take me to the truth. The next thing to do uh, is to breathe. The big problem that people very often have when they have anxiety is that they think they're having a heart attack, they think they're going crazy, and they begin to hyperventilate. And this really disturbs the balance between carbon dioxide and oxygen in their body and leads to all kinds of strange physical feelings that get interpreted as extreme manifestations of anxiety. Once an individual becomes anxious about anxiety, they don't know how to control it. They don't know what it means. It's coming to get them. It's threatening to them rather than taking them into some form of truth, some form of relief. If they could follow it and understand it, they then go into panic. And panic now feeds itself in a kind of a cycle over and over again. And nothing scarier than somebody in a full panic attack uh, who believes they're about to die, go crazy, insane, whatever it happens to be. And very often an ambulance is called and the individual hyperventilating and in oxygen need is taken into the hospital. Uh, they do a car, they'll do a uh, electrocardiogram, <clears throat> they'll run some tests, uh, and, and you should know that before a psychiatrist is called in an emergency room, you have to make sure there's nothing physically wrong with the individual. You have to make sure you don't need a cardiologist, you don't need a surgeon, <clears throat> you don't need a neurologist, you need uh, no medical doctor, which is when, when they call the psychiatrist, because psychiatrists do not function as medical doctors, they function as moral judges about patterns of behavior and emotional expression uh, that are unacceptable to individuals and to society at large. Depression is a threat to the family. Anxiety is a threat to everybody, including the person who is experience it, experience it unless they can understand it and work with it and let them take, it, take them to the truth. What comes into your mind when you're anxious? sit with a pad and pencil, do a magical pencil, write whatever comes into your mind without thinking about it, and then look at it. What does it say? What have you written? <clears throat> Sometimes really interesting and profound insights take place 
when an individual is in the house and under those circumstances. So, I've talked about depression and what I think depression is. I've talked about anxiety and what I think anxiety is. I could take every single diagnosis in the massive book of bad names, the DSM or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which now dominates the entire mental health industry in order to get paid by Medicare, Medicaid, or any of the uh, health insurances, you have to put down a diagnosis from the big book of bad names. And as a result, you have to define the individual who is experiencing normal emotions to difficult situations, <laughs> emotions that are important to understand and not simply try to kill off, uh, emotions that are taking the individual and pointing to the fact that they're in a crisis about what they believe and how they're living and need to change and telling them that they're defective and that their worst nightmares are in fact true. And the only way to get through this kind of stuff and these terrible experiences and painful experiences is to get stoned on psychiatric drugs. So, I think I'm finished. <clears throat> I don't know what the heck is going on today with my uh, uh, throat. Uh, <clears throat> maybe my post-nasal drip. I live here in Florida, and the and the uh, humidity uh, is awful. And then when I come in, the air conditioner seems to not help, but uh, actually aggravate things. In any event, if anybody would like to call me, if anybody would like to uh, write to me on the chat session, it says to me there was one error in opening the page. For more information, choose window activity. I don't know what the hell that means. I really don't know how to do this stuff really well. I tend to be a kind of non-sophisticate when it comes to technological things, particularly the computers. Uh, <clears throat> I was in my 60s when I first learned to... Uh, to use uh, WordPerfect or uh, Microsoft Word, uh, and, and I still don't have a really good grasp of this stuff. Anyway, so I have 10 minutes remaining, and if anybody would like to call, anybody want to discuss anything with me, I'd be delighted. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to talk to you about it, or anything else you want to talk about. Okay? Then I think I'm going to say good night and uh, see if there's something uh, t on television. Maybe there's a, uh, a tennis match still on. I am uh, I play tennis and I love the uh, U.S. Open when it's on. Uh, although it's kind of boring to watch uh, some of these sports and kind of defeating. There's no way I can even begin to think of hitting the ball. Uh, like these guys, young guys in their 20s who hit the ball at hundreds of miles an hour and the balls seem to give up and die after they've been hit a few times. But in any event, I'll be back tomorrow night to talk about my view of psychotherapy and what to do if you decide 
that you want to find a good psychotherapist, how to interview them, uh, what to say to them, what to look for, uh, and how to handle yourself so you don't become bamboozled and you don't become the victim of a terrible diagnosis. Uh, I'll talk about tomorrow the problem I have. I'm reopening my office, and as a result, uh, I'm going to uh, have to take Medicare because there's no way I can run an office without insurance, and I'm living in a you know an area of older people, and I'm going to have to put down diagnoses, and I'll have to work that through with the people I work with, uh, and, rep- and and admit to them that we're doing a kind of a lie and a collusion, and uh, well, we'll see what happens. In any event, good night, folks, and I will see you all tomorrow. I hope.